You're listening to Tone Benders, the Sound Designers Podcast. Let's do this. Welcome to Tone Benders. This is Teresa Morrow, and I'm here with Tim Muirhead. Hey, everybody. How are you doing? Today's episode, we're going to be talking about a CBS dramatic series called Seal Team, which is just about to start on its third season. And we're going to be having an interesting show because we're not just talking to some of the sound team, we're also talking to some of the picture editors on the show. So we have a full house. Yes, there's lots of different voices you're going to hear on the show today. I think there's seven of us. Uh, so Renee is going to be part of that conversation, which we recorded earlier. But with us are uh, David Cook, who is one of the picture editors, John Vitale, who's another one of the picture editors, uh, Charles Maines is the sound editor, sound designer for the show, and Greg Hedgepath is the supervising sound editor on this program. So for anyone that hasn't seen the show before, SEAL Team is on CBS in the U.S., and it's a show about a SEAL team, this group of people who are called in to kind of save the day in ultra-perilous situations when regular soldiers just can't get the job done. But it's also about their home life back in the continental United States and how their job kind of affects their families and the stresses it puts on the people around them and the ones they love. And then they get a call and are sent out into the world to save the day. So it's an action show in a lot of ways, military um, ops and battle scenes and stuff like that. And it's also a show about individuals and their relationships with their families. So there's a lot of variety in the way that the uh, show plays out and the overall dramatic arc of the show. We recorded this interview via Skype. Uh, as we mentioned, there are seven of us on the interview. So we had a few technical issues with the feed for our two picture editors. It's not the greatest sound. You'll hear a little bit of a lag on some of the voices just because it's the internet. So we'll throw it to Renee now, and we hope you enjoy this interview. I'm just going to go around the table so we can hear everyone's voice. First up, picture editor David Cook. Hey, David, how are you, sir? I'm well. How are you doing? Doing great. And picture editor John Vitale, how are you? I'm very good. And supervising sound editor Greg Hedgepath. Hey, Greg, how are you, sir? I'm doing great. And sound effects editor Charles Maines. How are you, Charles? Good, thank you. Great. Well, if you remember in our episode where we talked about kind of where the podcast is going with Peter Albrechtson, we mentioned how we wanted to branch out more into including uh, video editors, directors, more than just sound people. And basically the next day before that episode even came out, Charles reached out to me asking if we wanted to talk about the unique kind of setup that SEAL Team has between the picture and sound departments. And I jumped on it and said, yes, yes, that's exactly what we want to talk about right now. So uh, maybe we'll ask you, Greg, to start us off. What's the way that the sound and picture departments interact on this show that might be a little different from others? Well, it actually starts with the uh, the picture department. Uh, they do their thing and they masterfully edit the picture. And they also do uh, a fair amount of sound work as far as, you know, cutting in uh, temp sound effects, that sort of thing, which uh, ba some backgrounds, all the dialogue, of course, which gives us an idea of the direction they want to go in. And then we take that ball and kind of run with it. And Charles is the sound designer, so he's tasked with cutting uh, a lot of the effects, just about all the effects. And he's a gun expert, uh, probably one of the top gun experts uh, in the U.S. as far as recording guns and editing guns. So, so we're fortunate to have him. So that really shapes this, the sound of the show because, you know, the guns are so important. Um, 
I know when when I was asked to work on the show, there was a very big concern for, you know, having somebody doing effects who was really knowledgeable as far as the, the weaponry being used and the various gear and stuff. You know, it was one of the reasons... I'm actually embedded with um, John and, and David and um, in the picture department. So, you know, we're able to, you know, basically spend a huge amount of time discussing, you know, various issues that come up and opportunities that might be available in, you know, making the sound cool. Um, but for me, it's like I'm, I'm focused on, you know, pleasing both John and David, absolutely. And then um, Chris Chulak, our executive producer, you know, who's been the most phenomenally supportive person in the process that I've, I can ever imagine. It's, it's just been really terrific, you know, being, you know, at CBS because we have, you know, all the access to the technical advisors and all the sets and everything. Chris and, and the EPs, John Glenn, have, you know, certainly given me carte blanche as far as, you know, being on location to get certain things, uh, you know, having full access to, you know, all of our props. Um, so I'd like to point out that Chris Chulak, who's uh, our executive producer, started off in sound as well. He was a dialogue editor. So from top on down, sound is thought of throughout the entire process. So David and John, how has having Charles kind of embedded in with you guys changed your approach to your picture editing and your just relationship to the sound department? Uh, I don't know that it's uh, changed my approach because I, I think sounds so crucial to the storytelling that I've, I've always thought audibly, how can we uh, help tell the story and have been on other series where we've brought in sound people as well early on. But what Charles gives us is authenticity, which is something that, that our show strives for a lot and also just a, a pure enjoyment for what he does. I mean, if I, if I have an episode and Charles has watched an earlier cut or bring him in to show him a scene, you know, the next day he'll be in there with 50, 50 caliber shells that I can, uh, we can record walking on just because our guys are walking across the field with 50 caliber shells on the ground, just so that we, in the editorial process, we're telling the story as cleanly as we possibly can with sound as well. So, I, you know, for, for me, it's just a, a pure joy of working with, with somebody that's as, that is enthusiastic and eager to be creative. Um. Uh, I would echo David's comments. Knowing that you have someone that can find the most obscure sound that you may need, and if you don't have it, the ability to say, oh, I'll, I'll run out and go record it right now, is... Um, a really great thing to have because sometimes sound can help make something work visually that's not working and Charles has done that countless times uh, for me made something just play fantastic because we have the right sounds for what picture looks like you know so it's a big help I, I would just add, add to that the understanding that inanimate objects are characters in our show also and he's really giving the voice to those weapons and our characters are defined a lot of times by what they carry um and so he's adding to our our character's backstory our character's development with the sounds that he's he's creating for each one of them you know sound wise you know last season there was an episode where the characters came into a house in yemen and accidentally shot a girl there and 
my thought on the process was to make our soldiers feel somewhat like stormtroopers or the enemy so that you felt the the fear uh, for the family that lived there. And that entailed having them have gear sounds and every movement that they made sounded quick and almost loud. It made you feel like, you know, an army in your house, so to speak. And I think Charles was really able to accentuate that uh, further in the mix and, and it really did make you feel for that family when they have a whole squad of Navy SEALs in the house. Yeah, I don't I don't think you can get away anymore without recognizing that sound is is just as important oftentimes as picture and telling the story. And we're not operating in a void and just locking the picture and turning it over to sound anymore. It's discussions happen in pre production and, and during production and throughout the editorial process as, as to how we're going to develop and tell that story. Even conversations just on, on the dynamic range. I mean, we had an episode in season one where uh, our main actor was in a helicopter accident, and that really affected his perspective on what he was seeing after that point. And one of the things that we ended up doing was setting out a frequency range specific to his headspace where we were playing an irritant almost any time that we were in his headspace. But we made sure that it didn't fight the, the score. It wasn't going to fight any of the sound effects uh, that we were adding to it uh, as well. And that came out of a conversation of how do we want to tell this story? And, and Charles uh, was integral to that conversation. When do you have those conversations? Do you guys get together for dinner every so often, or is that just <laughs> as you're around the edit? Like, like how often do you guys talk offline about, about the decisions that you're going to end up making? Well, I think that's the advantage of having Charles there. I mean, it can happen at lunch. It can happen just when you're going through your dailies. You know, there, there's no particular time that we set aside outside of a spotting session, but we've oftentimes had these conversations before the spotting sessions. You know, that, I think it's just... Donuts. Yeah, in the kitchen. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. We also, as an editorial team, very much are involved in each other's episodes, too, and bringing uh, ideas and thoughts. I mean, it's, we have our own individual episodes, but I think we take the approach that it's one show, not individual episodes. So, Charles and Greg, how have you guys felt being so integrated with the picture department has helped the show? Well, this is Greg. Well, for me, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm over at Warner Brothers where we do the rest of the editorial and, and mixing and everything. But the great thing is the dynamic between Charles and myself. And, and we uh, worked together for years, uh, you know, over various films and Starship Troopers and Twister and a bunch of other movies. And so we have a, a trust level between us. So, you know, if I call him and I say, hey, you know, for this moment, have you thought about this or that, or I may hear something that he sent over and I say, hey, can we add this or that? There's no ego involved. It's just like, sure. Or, or if he's not really feeling it, you know, he feels comfortable telling me, well, I want to go this way because, you know, I've talked to Chris uh, Shulak and, and, and so we can uh, really kind of almost like work together as one. Yeah, this is Charles. Um, uh, I mean, I actually kind of feel 
bummed out a little bit because, I mean, Greg gets saddled with what I consider to be the really hard stuff, which is, you know, the group ADR, you know, shooting all of the, the principles. You know, I mean, it's definitely not, you know, quote unquote, glamorous stuff. And certainly, you know, managing the stage can have its own set of challenges. <laughs> but, you know, the thing that's great is, you know, it's like both Greg and I are absolutely committed to making John and David as happy as we can somehow manage. You know, it's not a matter of even like happy within the constraints that we're working in. We just want them to feel that their ideas were brought to a reality. Um, same goes with Chris Chulak. I mean, we had... I was talking to a friend of mine today about it. You know, it's like we do have this sense of technical accuracy that's really important to everybody. We had an instance in one of Dave or David's episode. Uh, David, was it 213 in the submarine? Yes. We had this thing where, you know, we've I don't have a better way to you to describe it, but we did cliched radio sounds for pretty much all of first season and all the way up to 213. And, you know, it's like, you know, the usual, like, you know, you'd have like squelches and, and, and clicks and stuff. And Chris, in hearing the production in that particular episode, really, really, really liked the quality of the actual sound that was coming off of the wireless mics that was being recorded because we have all the comms going through the radios. And it, it, the thing that was weird is, you know, that sound actually is kind of almost like a technical imperfection. I remember when we were spotting and Chris was saying, oh, I love this sound. It totally feels real to me. And I mentioned, it's like, well, you know, that's great. We'll have it as your first choice. <laughs> but know that essentially this is something that QC is probably going to think is some sort of a, a mechanical defect in the dub. <laughs> yeah, and, it, felt, and he said, it felt so wrong. You yeah, know, because yeah, it, 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 was, it was like the RF, you know, when they would key down on the, they had real walkie-talkies, they'd key down on it, you know, how it kind of overloads the coil of the, the mic, and you hear this, you know, this weird glitch that shouldn't be there, and I had to make the dialogue editors not clean it out. <laughs> right. And, and, I mean, Chris really loved it. Once we knew that, from that point forward, those sounds were the ones that we used for our radios. And, you know, it's like, it, because, you know, like I said, I, I don't, I actually don't have a lot of ego in the game as far as like, you know, saying, oh, yeah, well, this this has to be this way. I mean, we had, you know, one instance, you know, where there was a particular weapon where, you know, the mixers didn't think it sounded right, but we knew that it was the right sound. So we just kind of, you know, said it has to be this period. And, it, you know, everybody except it, it was all good. But, you know, sometimes you get in those situations where it's like, okay, well, we have a sound that might not make sense in the film world or TV world, but it's the sound that everybody really wants as far as, you know, the EPs and everything. So you go with it. It's like there, there's no argument because they're the ones who were satisfying. You know, I, Greg and I are both serving at John and David's uh, election, if you will, and Sandy's and Chris's. You know, it's like we have to make them happy. And, you know, they've empowered us and given us a lot of resources and we try to do the best we can. I will also add that Charles gives me the space to sometimes uh, make him cheat. And by that, I mean that because he's so technically accurate with his sounds. For example, I, I, I actually don't remember what, what, what are the helicopters that are used in the show, like when they're evacuated? Oh, well, we, we had that Osprey. Yeah, we had Ospreys, but but also the one where uh, you know they're they're rescuing uh, one of the seals, you know, and he's surrounded by you know the whole town. Just about was that a Blackhawk? Yes. Yeah. 
Well, for example, in that scene, I think the the Black Hawk kind of circles around and then comes in, and Charles used the absolute right sound for it. But I don't remember if it was uh, one of our editors or Chris uh, wanted it to be more dynamic. And so, you know, I looked in my library and and just found that sound, you know, of of a helicopter in the distance. You know, you can tell it's got big blades. And kind of started that out in the distance and then cross-faded it uh, with Charles's sound. And I actually didn't even check to see what helicopter it was. It was just, to me, it sounded like the right sound, and it just reeks of rescue in the distance coming to get you. <laughs> and I don't know if, if you noticed it, Charles, when I put it in, but you, you didn't freak out when you heard it, like, that's not the right you sound. You can't use that, you lousy editor. So, you know, he, he just kind of let me do it, which was great. And there have been other times, you know, where, where I've asked him to add something in in a certain area just to make it more dynamic, even though he has the correct sound. And then he's more than open, you know, if it's if he feels it's correct. Oh, well, I mean, actually, I, I think Greg's giving me, you know, probably way more deference than I deserve. No, I mean, because it's like he always has great ideas like that. And I mean, there's a lot of times when we don't use the quote unquote right sound because we need to you know, kind of bridge reality with cinematic expectations, which, you know, everybody mm-hmm. has kind of grown accustomed to. And, you know, there's a certain point where, you know, we can break away entirely from that and it makes all the sense in the world. But then there's other places where it's like you want to go with that. Yeah, and I do notice that in the show how the gunshots subtly change throughout the episode. All the guns that they use are very consistent from episode to episode. But, you know, in some places they'll sound somewhat dramatically different than in other places. I think in um, the episode when Adam got killed by the suicide bomber, um, David had this scene that was, you know, basically the SEALs going at, you know, rescuing these students that were in a library. And, like, the gun sounds we used for the SEALs in that particular scene were quite different from what we typically use. And they were very dramatic and, you know, a, a bit more stylized than normal. But it just, it emotionally made sense. So we try to be kind of accurate, but at the same time, it's like we are making entertainment and we want it to be visceral and want people to really be able to feel like they're they're going along for the ride as opposed to like watching an academic, you know, recording of it. <laughs> it's pretty intentional. I mean, it's, you know, really, you know, us trying to, you know, do the best we can for a given scene. David, David takes a lot of time thinking through the sound work he does. And, I mean, it's so rare for me to, like, change anything that he does. I mean, I usually will augment it. It's not our job to re-envision anything. They've got the vision. We're basically just, you know, really trying to refine it. I'm very interested in the mechanics of that workflow. Like, so, Charles, are you handing John and David just a, a whole stack of sounds that you've recorded um, for the editorial and they're, and they're laying that in and then it's coming back to you? Like, how does that work? Um, well, actually, I did give a pretty good-sized library, I think, to David and John uh, in first season. You know, for the most part, they're using the guns that we use. The guns are, you know, like, obviously one of the easy things to kind of, you know, document. But, you know, they have the sounds that basically we're drawing from for the finished product. Like, we've got the, the typical library of the sounds that we use in each of the episodes. But when we did the submarine episode, we hadn't done a submarine episode before. And in pre-production, just seeing that that's what it was going to be and talking to Charles, Charles gave me just a vast library of sounds that he had recorded 
on, on a ballistic missile submarine. And that became the foundation for the sound work that we did. It was cut in during editorial, sweetened and added to during the sound editorial process of it. And that's just what ended up going back. So the AAFs that we're giving him, he's getting back what he's already given us a lot of the time. That's just beneficial, useful to us that we don't, when we get into a spotting session, if our regular sounds are there that came from Charles, it just speeds up the process because it's, it's such a short period of time that we have to do picture, sound, editorial, turn it around for the mixed stage. And with the shows that we have, trying to mix them in three days, that's a tall task. And, and you know, that, that's one of the great things with having Greg on the show is he's so responsive to uh, anything that we might decide that we need to change on the stage and Greg's already on it, whether it's rewalking some Foley or finding some uh, sound effects or calling Charles for additional sweeteners or pulling it from his library. Um, you know, we've got the general idea of this, how we're telling the story with sound, but they both bring a lot to that process as well. Charles, you're also getting access to set uh, while they're shooting. Is that right? Um, yeah, I, I, well, I, the way that our, our show is usually done, I, I mean, David and John should definitely chime in on this. I mean, it's my understanding that we typically have about seven shooting days. Um, so, and, you know, probably, I think typically it's probably split for studio shooting versus on location. You know, we had uh, episode 215, which John was the picture editor on, which we actually had a good chunk of it filmed at Camp Pendleton with the Marine Corps. So we actually had the, the, the Marines there use air assets to assist our filming. So we had like an Osprey that came in to do a rescue and two helicopter gunships that were involved. And, um, you know, for that, you know, basically I was aware that the shooting was happening because I'm, another thing that's perhaps a little unusual is that, you know, we get the scripts, you know, ahead of the turnovers on the show. So we can actually kind of map out the various things that are needed for an episode and in this case, since it was a very special thing, and, you know, Ospreys are not very well documented as far as sound libraries go, um, I was able to actually go down for the actual shooting and record all of the aircraft on set while they were doing the stuff that they were supposed to be doing. And just to spell out what's different, a V-22 Osprey has t uh, twin rotors that pivot so that right. you can either fly horizontally or vertically like a helicopter. Exactly. So it sounds different. Yeah, it, it's quite different. It's somewhat similar to like, you know, there's Chinooks and whatnot, which are usually used for troop transport. But I mean, when they go into their, you know, plane mode, they actually sound extremely different. And, you know, ha again, having, you know, just a sense of the action that was happening on set you know, really gave me a huge insight into the kind of performances and everything that were needed. That was the very first show, as far as I know, that we actually had Department of Defense cooperation on. With that, I was able to, to even go down to Camp Pendleton on a second day to get live fire from the helicopters on a gunnery exercise. That's fun. You know, having, yeah, having opportunities like that for a TV show is somewhat unusual. Yeah, I'd say that this for this show, there's a lot more sound effects that are recorded for this than for a lot of other shows. Not necessarily all, but a lot of shows. And I think a big part of that might be because, unlike a lot of features I've worked on, you know, I've worked on features with cars or gun battles or, or war scenarios, but you're, you're making the sound for the general public, as we are on this show, but 
added to it, we also have a very strong veteran base that love the show. And so they're very aware, more so than the, re- the regular public, of what the show should sound like. So, you know, we want to be true to the sounds for them. Probably the person I speak to the most about that is um, Justin Milnack, who plays um, Brock on the show. Justin is like just this, the most enthusiastic person you could imagine. He's really excited to be, you know, having, you know, input into, you know, our side of things. And, you know, we have, you know, these technical advisors as well who, you know, are are very available. Tyler Gray, who plays Trent on the show, you know, he's actually a former Delta Force guy. You know, uh, our character Full Metal, Scott Fox, is a SEAL. Uh, Mark Semos, one of the writers, is a SEAL. Mark Owen, who is one of our EPs, is a SEAL who was in, on the Bin Laden raid. And, you know, to be able to, you know, essentially bounce ideas off of these guys is, is really something that's pretty amazing. Because it's like, literally, I can just walk over to their office and say, hey, Tyler, what do you think of this? Or, you know, do you think you can help me make this happen? And 99 times out of 100, it's, oh, yeah, let's make this go. You know, I mean, everybody's super, super enthusiastic about helping because they know, you know, it's ultimately going to be to the benefit of the show. Um, Have they ever given you a surprising perspective as to how something would have sounded? um, You know, well, it's kind of interesting. At least one of the reasons that I was told that the intention was for me to be embedded in production, at least in the first season, was because they were very concerned that the accuracy was going to be an issue, you know, that, that whoever was doing the sound effects wasn't going to be representing this universe of action in a manner that was going to be satisfactory to the people who were making it. And um, I, I want to say probably after the, the second episode that I did sound effects, um, basically all the tech guys and even Chris, you know, was like, you don't need to show me anything anymore because I know whatever you're going to send to the stage is going to be great. Wow. Which was, I mean, incredibly flattering, but at the same time, you know, it's like, you know, we're, we're sound artists or artists, period. We'd happen to do sound and, you know, you're always second guessing yourself. So, I mean, mercifully, I can like torment John and David if I feel that like, oh yeah, you know, it's like, is this really cool or, you know, or is this working or, or whatever. And, and, you know, they always have wonderful feedback. It's, it's just so, so great to be able to, you know, again, have this access that in the film world, we usually don't tend to have so much. The, the picture department is typically very much segregated from the sound department. And it's almost as though there's a barrier that we're like kind of, you know, throwing things over a wall back and forth. Yeah. You know, where you don't really have the connection where, I mean, David can come up and say, hey, I've got this idea. You know, what do you think? And same with John, you know, I mean, it's just like, okay, well, yeah, let's try whatever you want to do. I'm totally open to whatever you want to try. I want to make Greg happy. I don't want (laughs) him to ever feel like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting in the way of him doing his job really uh, to the best manner that he can. And he does a really, really good job. I need them to know that I'm about their success at the end of the day. You know, I might disagree with something they want to do, but I still want them to be happy with the outcome. So I'll make it work for them. And that's, that's my biggest priority. Uh, I just wanted to ask David and John, if there's, with having Charles so close to you while you're working, has there been any situations where you've changed the picture edit based on something that he's uh, delivered to you? Uh, I was just going to say that 
I know that that's actually happened a couple of times where in watching earlier cuts, Charles said, if you hold on that a little bit longer and we, we could play this sound effect and that will actually transition us inside of, I think it was on a breach or something. You know, when we lock our picture, when we do our spotting session, it's kind of a loose lock. And I would say, you know, Greg's even done that before where he's pointed something out and you're like, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's, let's run with that. Um, and sometimes you're like, no, I'm not changing that. And this is the reason why. And then they understand and they're like, oh, okay, story-wise. Yeah, I, I, I think it has happened a couple of times where I've looked at Charles's work. You know, I'll sit with him and review and I'll say to myself, I'm like, geez, I bet if I made that cut a little bit longer, that would be a lot better because of how Charles has done the sound. And I don't know if we change stuff or not, Charles, but we've talked about it on multiple occasions and we can go back and change it if we think it's going to help. And I think everybody's always on board with trying to make the story the best, you know, regardless picture or sound. It's if we can make it better, we usually try to do that. Well, that's probably mitigated a little bit by the fact that you have a giant library of usable sounds already in front of you, right? Because you can make a cut and then you can put some gunshots in there and you can feel the tempo of when you need to go anyway. You're not having to guess at it. So you can use the actual sounds to inform your pacing and your timing, right? Yes. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, yeah, definitely. You know, they're shooting, you know, blank rounds on set that sound like gunshots and we cover them with what the actual real sound of a live round is and we try to do our best to cut it the sound and picture the way we want it to air uh and usually charles is refining and sometimes he'll add things that we maybe didn't put that one extra shot or we didn't see that the gun fired because there's you know maybe you know the fire from the muzzle or the smoke was only half a frame or and we missed it. And Charles like, no, I can see that cartridge eject. We got to put another shot there. He's very accurate about all of those things. And we try to hold to that rule of let's be as accurate as possible, but also try and tell the best story, you know. And I, and I remember a specific example now, and that was on uh, episode 219, where we had a, a Blackhawk and an A-10 doing a strafing run. And Charles actually shares his office. It's a, it's a big room. But he splits it with our VFX editor. And we had some VFX shots come in. And while we were watching them, Charles was in there and he just came over and started watching also. And he actually pointed out something in one of the visual effects shots. They'd be like, if you did this, then we could do this. And it actually really helped sell that sequence of adding this ground pound uh, sound. So it changed a little bit of the approach of what we were doing with the ground debris from the A-10 cannon that was uh, going off on it. So, yeah. you know, we didn't change and edit, but we, we addressed a visual effects note uh, specifically to something that Charles had mentioned. Nice. And then, as I remember, when, when it uh, came to the stage, I think even some more visual effects came in last minute, and then you got more detail in the, the ground being chewed up by these bullets. This is an area, speaking of cheating, where... You know, Charles put in some elements and then I added some elements like, you know, there were like rocks splitting and it was like styrofoam tears and earthquake breaks and different things. But just in sh short little bits of them. So it's like for, for the bullets. And, and it also 
was a moment where the music was crescendoing and the uh, A-10s going by, so they had to cut through that. So it had to be something that's almost like a square wave, but we were able to do it without uh, driving the network standards people nuts, you know, as far as our level. Right. Well, we never mind driving them nuts. <laughs> yeah, they drive us nuts. Right. With their sound. So, John and David, I guess an obvious question for me is what percentage of, of your time are you spending pushing sounds around as opposed to pushing frame boundaries around? Well, we have, we have great assistants who help us a great deal with, you know, laying some of that sound out. But I would say, you know, 40%, 30% is, you know, sound and visual effects outside of just cutting picture you know it's it's a lot of work i think it's hard to quantify that because it's going to be different from episode to episode that's true and i think you know there's there's times where music is going to sell the scene and there's time where silence is going to sell the scene and i, I think we've we've had some really great episodes where some of the best moments were played in quiet and I think that's one of the great things about uh, Charles and Greg is the understanding that great sound doesn't necessarily mean f- loud sound all the time. And it doesn't mean that you have to fill every moment, but that you are really using uh, the silences as well so that when you need that dynamic change to full up sound, that means something instead of just playing sound all the way throughout. Our composer does a great job with understanding that as well and uses doesn't use the score as a laugh track to tell the audience how they're supposed to be feeling but really supports the episodes with the cues that he puts in and i think charles and greg take that same approach and it's a lot of times it's about what you're not hearing as much as it is about what you are hearing that's awesome they were talking a lot about the ops sections of the show and the weapons and explosions and stuff like that. But I think the strength of the show is how each episode builds, but it starts from a place of human interactions, a lot of conversational scenes uh, where the emotional basis for each episode is sort of set out. So I think what you're talking about in terms of like the having room for the quiet portions of the show that interaction that's played with the sound is really strong in this show. As a viewer, I feel like uh, you're in good hands dramatically. Thank you. I also think, you know, it, it's it's worth mentioning that, you know, I believe that our, our, our writers also think audibly when they're writing, because a lot of times there's going to be cues in the script that are really helping us define exactly how we're going to tell that story. You know, that I, I think we're lucky to be on a show where, it's not just a visual show. It's a, it's a visual and an audible show, and that's thought of from the top down all the way throughout. So, I think as picture editors and uh, sound artists, we know that uh, good media depends on conflict. So you guys just being all nice to each other this entire interview <laughs> is really causing a problem here. <laughs> Have you guys ever had a fight of any kind? I don't think so. Yeah. Um... Not this year. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just going to say, you know, to that about getting into arguments and whatnot, like it doesn't really happen. You know, David and I, if we, if we need help with each other's episodes or we get buried or something like that, we, we, we help each other out. And everybody is collaborative because I think in the end, we want to have a, every episode be a great show. I, we've 
in my opinion, haven't made any bad shows in two seasons. So that's something to strive for, to continue to try and make really great episodes. And, and everybody puts their all into the into the episodes, and and it's it's you know when when our schedules get tough and get tight, it's everybody rises to the occasion. Part of it is I think there's also no feeling of competition. There are some things that John has done where I've gone in and I'm like, how did you do that? Like I saw your dailies on that 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 scene. <laughs> can we can we just break that down and show me how you came to that conclusion of playing it that way? Because that was so smart and. We from the very beginning we make sure that we watch each other's cuts, not just to understand what's happening story wise and going on through you know episode to episode to episode, but also getting that second set of eyes to verify that that's still not working, um, and maybe try this or try that, and you know sometimes it's picture solutions and oftentimes it's sound that that saves you in those situations. Yeah, I, I, what I'd say what we do have is is tension, and not bad tension like between people, but because we're on such a tight schedule, uh, it does put you on your A plus game. And so I know you know on certain days when we leave the dub, I'm tired because you know just concentrating all day. And sometimes mixers are going over the same scene, and sometimes I'll have to walk away and come back just to so I don't lose focus and and concentrating on not losing focus, and uh, and also just with the delivery schedules, it it can be crazy because we had a, a sequence where our uh, production crew went down to Puerto Rico, and so the actors weren't available for ADR, so we had to shoot as much ADR as we thought we might need before they went down there, and then. Uh, while they're there, we needed certain lines. I think we may have gotten the line on an iPhone or something. I don't re- quite remember. <laughs> but, but you know, then when they come back, we're trying to get those last lines. And, you know, we may have just like two days to air or something. And we're, we're dropping in that line at the last minute. And then at the end of the season where people go home, we have the last couple of episodes – you can't get people because they're on they're in Spain somewhere, but yet we did we you know because the actors are really into it, so they'll you know find a place to record or they'll record on their iPhones you know to be able to do all that just it, it really makes you not frantic but just tense to, because everybody wants it to be right and you know we can't fail There's, we just can't. Well, if I can just add one thing to that, I yeah. mean, is you know due to the kind of really tight turnaround we have on the show, which we get essentially five days of editorial per episode you know it's 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 a lot to do whenever i'm turning over any of my work i try to do everything i can so it's like you know when he says oh you know you missed this one thing or can you do something you know to enhance this it's like okay well i'm i I, i'm super glad that you caught that let me just get this thing right over to you because everybody is trying to work so hard for you know the success of the show um, but, you know, it's like I remember, you know, John was like cutting the scene when they're, you know, up on this hilltop looking for, you know, like trying to figure out what to do to find Bravo 2. Ray is um, played by Neil Brown Jr., who's just – well, the whole cast I think is wonderful. You know, it's like every one of those guys, you know, is so on, on their game every week. I, it, it struck me as so interesting, you know, to like see the process between David and – you know, David B. and, and John – you know, working through, you know, it's like these takes and going, you know, it's like David saying, yeah, I, I want it to sound like these guys are really exhausted. They physically had to get up into these locations. I mean, they were pretty exhausted and you could hear it in their voices. 
And I mean, you know, DB was just like going, yeah, I want to, I want to like take these takes that are like the most tired sounding, <laughs> you know, you know, you know, these guys are in their most vulnerable position. And, you know, we look at that and it's, it's impossible to not want to do your best work when you see the cast and crew putting in the effort that they are in production. I mean, if, if we did like, you know, something that was even B plus work and we knew it when we could do A work, it would be a direct insult to the effort that those guys put in. We wouldn't be able to sleep at night. At least that's how I feel. And you know when uh, what David uh, he directed the second to the la- I mean the next to the last episode. I mean he was we're like talking a- about uh, David Boreanaz, the producer and director. Right. Yeah. He uh, came to the dub stage for playback of his episode, and you know this guy's an actor and he could you know play it any way he wants to, but you could tell he was so genuinely touched that it warmed your heart. You know, it, it made you want to give more. You know, because he was just wow. That, that's just amazing. You know, he just kept saying that. It was just really cool. <laughs> yeah, your, your dedication, your passion to, your, to the work that you're doing really, really comes through um, in, in the way that you talk with each other and, and in the work that you do. It's, it's inspiring to see people working like that. It's cool. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. A lot of fun right to be involved in it. Awesome. Well, I just want to thank everybody for taking the time to talk with us today. I think it's really great to get both perspectives of, of the picture and the sound department. So thank you very much for joining us, everybody. Oh, thank you. Great. Pleasure. Thank you for having us. No Film Bitters is produced by Timothy Muirhead, Renee Coronado, and Teresa Morrow. Theme music is by Mark Strait. Send your emails to info at tonebenderspodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter via at the Tonebenders and join Tonebenders Podcast on Facebook. Support this podcast. You can use our links when you shop with Amazon or B&H, or leave us a tip. Just go to ToneBendersPodcast.com and click the support button. Thanks for listening. 